0: Let's open God's word now uh, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. We're beginning a new chapter, having worked successfully or successively through uh, the first 12 chapters. We've come to the first few verses of chapter 13. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of God's holy word as Jesus continues to teach, even when someone raises a, a Uh, A bit of current news. Jesus brings it back around to his primary message. Chapter 13, verse 1. There were some present at that very time who told him, told Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? Because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish thus far we read in God's good and holy word may he bless it to all who hear and believe and obey his word amen amen well we just sang count your many blessings on this harvest sunday as thanksgiving reminds us uh, that day on the calendar that provokes us to be filled with gratitude and to give thanks, hopefully giving thanks to the Lord God above. We should be counting our blessings and giving him thanks. Let's make sure to do that publicly and as we gather with friends and family. Yet I wonder if one of the things people get thankful for are those things that didn't happen to us. Lord, I'm really thankful that I didn't miss my plane. I've had a couple of close calls. Lord, I'm really thankful that I didn't lose my job. I know Bob lost his job. Lord, I'm really thankful that I don't have cancer. I know Sally's got it bad. Do we do that? Do we see ourselves in relation to others and somehow feel better or feel blessed or count that as some kind of a blessing or how about this perhaps with the approach of the holidays you're getting out to church more and as you're sitting in church uh, you can say well I'm not here as often as the others but I'm here today I must be pretty good I feel a little righteous I feel better than if I had stayed home Sometimes our thinking about ourselves can get so self-centered it becomes distorted. And our view of tragedies can become detached and distorted. You know, in this passage, and and the Lord just moved us through the book of Luke, so we're here in chapter 13, just at the pace we're at. This is the Lord's doing, that this is our text for this week. And it's interesting to see that as Jesus has been teaching and encouraging people to be ready for the return of Christ, for the day of judgment, to hear the good news, get right with God, all sorts of wonderful things. As Jesus presses the listeners with them, some share their thoughts. Well, what about those guys? Those guys are really bad. You know what Pilate did? Or I must not be as bad as those who got hurt or killed. Jesus seizes upon the thinking of the day and brings it back with some truth about tragedy and truth about death and truth about the mercy of God that calls for people to flee to him as a refuge now before tragedy comes before death approaches. Jesus engages on these topics, uh, even unpleasant as they may be. I know there are certain things we, we typically won't talk about around the Thanksgiving table, politics and other things. Jesus says now's the time to talk about these things as he brings us to this passage of his holy word. The first heading of our reflection is just to set the stage and give us the context. Now is not a good time, question mark. Is it a good time? You know, that phrase, now is not a good time, is often used as a dismissal or deflection when you really don't want to talk, when you don't want to have to think about something. You don't like what someone else is bringing up and you don't want to deal with it. You don't want your ideas to be challenged, perhaps. And you may not want to deal with them later either. Sometimes it can be a very disingenuous rebuff. Now's not a good time. Jesus wants to engage those who are asking him questions and those who are talking. But he doesn't necessarily want to talk about and reinforce their thinking. He wants to correct it. It is a good time. What had Jesus been talking about recently? Well, if you've been with us, you know that in chapter 12, Jesus had covered many things. That's a nice long chapter. He said, beware of those Pharisees who are religious for religion's sake. Instead, fear God, trust in him, and don't be anxious. In the middle of chapter 12, there's that wonderful passage about uh, do not be anxious about your life or what you will eat or about your body or what you will put on. Life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Jesus has wonderful liberating good news. He's been talking about that. That's his mission. He came to make the Father known. He came to proclaim peace. Luke's gospel is the one that has those angels singing back in Bethlehem Do you remember the tune? Peace on earth among men with whom God is pleased. A Savior is born. We'll get to that and we'll talk about that as Advent and Christmas draw near. But Jesus was bringing up topics primarily of good news, of hope, and helpfulness. He was teaching and he had gathered a great crowd and he had confirmed his teaching by performing many miracles. And the Gospel of Luke in particular sets out an orderly account of the teaching and ministry of Jesus so that we know our faith in him is not in vain. Those are the recent topics of discussion. Yet, in the midst of all that teaching, Jesus just wasn't discussing and declaring. He was making some demands. If you know Jesus... You know that he just doesn't come a long time to spin a yarn and entertain you. He comes to direct you. And the son of God in his teaching makes clear what God's will is. And so even just looking back at chapter 12, where we've been for many weeks, he says, uh, um, why don't you interpret the times? Are you ready uh, to settle and get right now with God? Verse 35, he said, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. The master's coming. Jesus made many demands upon the crowd and he stirred them up and he even called them hypocrites for being on the fence. When the evidence of who he was and what God was doing was so clear. The very previous verses at the very end of chapter 12, he had said this. Uh, As you go with your, it's a little parable about uh, a lawsuit, but he's really pressing those followers to realize that they're indebted to God and they should settle up with him. He says, as you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. That little parable was very convicting to those who were not right with God, those who were indebted to God, and those who were challenged by these demands of Jesus. So they could be described as reluctant to respond to these demands. A reluctant group of listeners, they're probably saying in their Whispers, "This is not a good time, Jesus. I, 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 I have some other questions. You know, I really want to talk about creation. I want to talk about dinosaurs. I want to talk about UFOs. I want to. Talk. They, they wanted to change the subject. Does that ever happen to you? When you're trying to share something of the Lord, you can see somebody's a little uncomfortable. We perceive that there were some present at that very time, as verse one of the new chapter begins." that were so reluctant that they bring up a current tragedy. Hey, hey, I just saw on my phone something, something happened and Pilate did this. You know, they're, they're bringing something new, but it's primarily bringing a great tragedy to the attention of Jesus. What do they say? There was some present at that very time who told them about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. What is that about? Galileans wait Jesus was from Nazareth in Galilee as they said he was a Galilean and so they bring up some news from some of his neighbors most likely they want to get his attention hey hey you're from Galilee did you hear about this what had happened Pontius Pilate the ruler of the area who was notorious for being quick to pull the execution trigger when he wanted. Apparently he mingled the blood of some Galilean worshippers with their sacrifices. He killed them. Even as they were sacrificing or worshipping, he had them killed. We, we, we don't know the event that this is referring to. It's, it's, it's very plausible because there were many times that Pilate had shed blood. He was... Strong and impulsive in many ways. How little do we realize uh, the danger the Lord was in when he stood before Pilate? And while we say danger, we might have to put air quotes around it because God was in control that day. Pilate had done this terrible thing and, and, and they bring this up. Let's be wise here. Why are they bringing this up? Well, what are they bringing up? The horrible things that Pilate did. If you you want to preach at somebody to to repent, let's talk about Pilate. He's really evil. People who might be uncomfortable with their own track record of loving their neighbor might talk about somebody who's really bad as a distraction. Well, uh, have you heard about so-and-so? He might go to jail. Have you heard about so-and-so? They bring up this current tragedy to point to the evil of Pilate. And, and you know what else might be afoot here? Those Galileans, why, why them? Mm. Why do bad things happen to good people? They were distracting at best and not thinking of their own standing before the Messiah who was standing before them. So what does Jesus say when they bring up this bit of news? Verse two, and he answered them. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? Because they suffered in this way. I hope if you are a Bible reader that you really pay attention to what Jesus says and and what he doesn't say and, and pay attention to how he says what he says. He's asking a question. And he's asking them what they really think. He's saying, do you really think that? He, he has an understanding of what they're assuming. This word Jesus uses, he uses it twice in this passage, doesn't he? Think, do you really think? One of the takeaways, let Jesus call us to think. There's a good time to rethink what we thought we knew. So twice now Jesus says think. He calls for rethinking. And it's not just here. Dozens of times Jesus calls people to think in the scriptures. You'll find it everywhere. Because you know what? Christianity is rational. It takes evidence. It takes the revelation of God. And has to understand the propositions that it hears and respond. And either Jesus is telling the truth or he's not. And he is telling the truth here he says do you really think that this word think in greek can mean think or imagine or suppose or it's often translated presume it seems to me like it's superficial thinking there's several words in greek for think to reckon to count up to calculate to determine Uh, to be convicted of this is the more superficial one to imagine to suppose it's kind of like that quick trigger thought presume here's two examples of this word think it's used in Matthew chapter 3 verse 9 Matthew chapter 3 verse 9 and do not presume to say to yourselves we have Abraham as our father for I tell you God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. There the word is translated presume. Don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. We don't need to respond to your ministry, your witness, your preaching. And you remember back in John chapter three that it was the the ministry of, uh, of John the Baptist who was calling for repentance And there he says, don't be presuming just because you're Jewish that you're okay. Don't be presuming because you're an American Protestant or your parents belong to a church that you're okay. Or in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, the same word think is used. Uh, And this is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think, same word, They think that they will be heard for their many words. They just assume that the more I pray or the more eloquent that the tongue of my mouth expresses itself to the Almighty, I will be heard. Jesus says, you really think that? I would rethink that is what Jesus is calling for. But, you know, we do this every day when you're scrolling and deciding what news article to read or or what might be true on social media, you're making very quick judgments. You do this every day. And a lot of it's just little things, so it's not a big deal, but some things are a big deal. And God gave us an incredible brain. And he gave us plenty of time, especially in modern times where we have Uh, work saving conveniences we have plenty of time to take a minute and think but here the Lord Jesus teaching as he's on his way to Jerusalem teaching the crowds he wants those people who want to talk about a tragedy talk about others instead of themselves he says it's time to think and Jesus wants to expose false presumptuous thinking that's what preachers try to do and it's not easy we are so good at guarding ourselves and defending ourselves so we might say now's not a good time or we might just come to a quick assumption and move on my friends God's word the bible the whole existence of the bible is to say come come Read, learn, and rethink what you assume. The Proverbs will tell you there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, leads to destruction. Do not lean on your own insight. This is what the Bible says. Think about it. We all think the best of ourselves, right? Are you willing to rethink? Are you willing to hear what Jesus says? Are you willing to open the Bible, read it, and give it a chance? I hope so. Because otherwise we use Bible verses or our own thoughts like, well, like a lot of people put those stickers on their car windows. You know, I support the police. and Some people have a lot of those stickers. And they think, I won't get a speeding ticket if I have those stickers on my car. I'll go ahead and think that. I know a few officers that won't hesitate. Um, and it is good to support the police. Do we really think that? Well, what, what is it that they might be thinking? These people who brought up this terrible tragedy, this violent act of pilot and those victims, what are they thinking? Uh, perhaps this is it. They're thinking bad things mainly happen to bad people. Bad things done by bad people mainly happen to people who deserve it? Is that the line of thinking? They're connecting the tragedy to the morality of the person. Does that happen? Oh, it happens. You might be familiar with an Old Testament character named Job. What is Job famous for? Don't say his suffering. Job comes to our attention in the first chapter because God says there's nobody like Job. He has done the best job of living rightly before me. That's what Job should be famous for. There's no one like Job. Can we work on that uh, recasting, rebranding Job? Because that's what the Bible tells us. God was so pleased with Job. And it was the devil who questioned it and wanted to undo it and wanted to test it that said, let's put that to the test. And that's what happens And Job and God win. Sorry to spoil it. You read the end. Job is, after all his suffering, he is still blessed by God. He is still believing in God and the devil's on the run. But think about how Job was treated by his friends when he was under those afflictions. What did they assume? What did they think? Well, I'll give you one sampling of it because you may not have read Job recently when his three friends, and we might put friends in air quotes, right? The three friends show up to really grill him and accuse him and to to really push him around because they assume that these bad things are happening to you because you did something bad. Hear how uh, chapter eight begins, for instance. A few words from his friend, Bildad, the Shuhite. He answered and said, How long will you say these things and the words of your mouth be a great wind? Does God pervert justice or does the almighty pervert the right? If your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the hand of their transgression. Job, your children were all killed because they were sinners. And you should stop hiding, Job. These bad things are happening to you because you sinned. They're making this connection in their own self-righteousness that you did something worse than I did. So this has befallen you. Just remember that the counsel of the friends in Job is a mixture of truth and error, that they don't always have the right view of life. So Job's one example of this presumption Being used to not help Job. In the New Testament, there's a very clear case of it. And I'll again point you to the Gospel of John chapter 9. You can, I would say, read the the whole chapter for yourself this afternoon if you'd like. But it starts out very quickly and very clearly. Jesus comes along. Well, the story itself is pretty self-evident. So from John chapter 9, just a couple verses at the beginning. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What's the assumption? This man was born blind and is now grown up because he did something very sinful and God is punishing him. Or perhaps his parents. You see, that's the thinking that's prevalent in the world then and still today. Bad things happen mainly to bad people. Jesus answers in verse 3 right on the heels of their question he answers it this it was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. A sovereign God works even the The painful consequences of the fall, the brokenness of creation, a sovereign God works those things for his glory. So if you know someone who's expecting and there's a birth defect, encourage them. Uh, It doesn't mean somebody's done something wrong. God can and does orchestrate these things for his glory. So Jesus wants to challenge this presumptuous thinking because these presumptions lead us to false conclusions for instance oh i'm not as bad as that killer i'm not as bad as pilot so if god grades on a scale i'm pretty good that would be a false assumption or if they say well bad things aren't happening to me i must be okay right now phew that was a close call while i was driving God must really like me. I didn't have that accident. I, I didn't get laid off like those guys. This is the way we justify ourselves and begin to think connecting circumstances with our moral standing. As Pastor Douglas Milne says, disaster is no gauge of the degree of sinfulness. Or as someone else has plainly put it, not all suffering is caused by someone's sin. Jesus said that. We should be clear about that. There is, we would say, humanly a randomness to the brokenness of this world. We know that under the sovereignty of God, all things happen according to his purpose. It's not always because of an individual sin that something bad happens. But the people bring this up to perhaps distract Jesus Perhaps they didn't know the term. They were already believing in something that Middle Eastern and Eastern religions and philosophy called karma. Hinduism and Buddhism all talk about karma. And if you do any research at all, you know that there's multiple layers and definitions and types of karma in those religions. It basically says that what happens to you in life is because of your previous behavior. Karma has this principle of causality As action and reaction. If we show goodness. We will reap goodness. And it's just as simple. And fatalistic as that. It's really odd. Because it seems to undo morality. And turn it into utilitarianism. But we're not here to talk about karma. Jesus wants people to think. Do you really think that. They were worse sinners. Do you really think A certain way about yourself because of what you see happening over there. I remember the game show probably too many years ago now. Who wants to be a millionaire? And they're answering questions. And and they might win a million bucks back when a million bucks was something. And the host would ask at critical junctures. you, You know what the host would ask. Is that your final answer? I think that's what Jesus is trying to get through to these people. You really think that? Is that your final answer? Is that what you're hoping on for eternity when you die and stand before God? Your presupposition is going to serve you? Is that your final answer? Jesus just asks people to think he calls for it here in this text and he wants us here today to think and his answer by the way is also given he not only says uh, in our text back in Luke 13 do you think that they were worse sinners but he says this in verse 3 no I tell you they weren't worse sinners But unless you repent, speaking second person plural to the people that are asking him, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The emphasis isn't on likewise that they're going to be a victim of a violent act. That's not Jesus' point, but that we will all die. Everyone actually will perish. You see, Jesus uses his rhetorical question... Uh, to attack this popular view that tragedies and physical ailments were due to personal sin his answer is no there isn't that connection phil reichen says in all our distress we sometimes fail to see the real tragedy which is that we're all going to die in a disaster he says death comes all of a sudden that's what highlights the tragedy of it. Yet, he says, the overall death rate remains unchanged. 100%. Whether it's quick and soon and a part of a large group or just by yourself. Jesus wants them to remember that. Don't shuffle the subject. Don't try to change the topic Yeah, Pilate did what was wrong. No one's going to excuse that. But Jesus says, what about you? You can't control that. And you shouldn't let that give you false hope. What about yourself? You see, public tragedies are times for thoughtful self-examination and for thoughts of eternity. The older I get, the more I pay attention when all of a sudden a famous actor, uh, well-loved by so many Dies. He's a decade younger than me. And he dies in his hot tub in California. A successful guy. Having done a lot of nice things too. It causes me to think. About myself. And my walking before the Lord. And my preparedness for eternity. Perhaps that's common in, in the latter quarter of your life. It's harder when you're young to think that way. It seems so far away. But the Bible tells us we should be ready. And the Bible's very clear about all that all of us will perish. Romans 3:23, a short verse in Romans, says succinctly, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 3 reminds us the wages of sin is death. And separation. So Jesus answers their sidebar. He says, don't think you're morally superior to those who died. We're all debtors and offenders before God unless we settle up with him now. So the final heading this morning is this. Now is a good time to repent. Jesus first calls for them to be thinking. Think is there twice. What else is there twice here in Romans 13? Do you see it? Unless you repent, unless you repent. It's urgent for Jesus. They brought up one thing. You know who brings up the second event? It's Jesus. They brought up this intentional wicked act and tragedy of Pilate. But what does Jesus go on to bring up? Verse four, he says, or you're talking about the Galileans where I'm from. You want me to engage with that. Let me bring it home closer to you guys who live here around Jerusalem in Judea, where Jesus was heading at the time. Those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. We don't know the exact event here. There was a pool of Siloam in in construction, obviously, in the city. Perhaps it was a construction accident. Jesus brings up something that seems random. Something that is apparently accidental. So it wasn't done by Pilate. It was done by an act of God. Jesus says, you want to think about events. I can point to anything. And he points to this and killed them. 18, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Uh, He says, we can point to people dying, uh, uh, horrible victims of terror or tragedy, or by accident. It doesn't change the rate of death. We will all face God. So he says here, in conclusion, now's a good time to repent. Jesus is speaking so urgently. He not only says it once, but he brings it up a second time. At the end of chapter 12, he had used that little parable to say, now is the time to settle your debt with God. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. Salvation by grace through faith in Christ. It's important that we settle up and repent. What is repentance? Well, it's a call for, we can give it three words. I, I like uh, The condensed version by Phil Reichen, the three words he gives, they all begin with the letter C. Confession, contrition, and change. Repent in Greek means change of mind. And it's not just a change of mind, it's a change of worldview and a change of life. To look at something afresh and turn from your previous wrong thinking. So this is a wonderful context to explain repentance and it involves confession. If you're going to repent, you need to say, God, I have sinned against you. Uh, You openly own your sin. If you're going to ask a a relative a friend that you've hurt for forgiveness you know what you need to say I'm sorry I said that hurtful thing that I said I'm sorry I hit you I'm sorry I, I told someone else a lie about you. you just own the sin see if you cannot identify it because if your thinking has changed you see your behavior for what it is You don't come up to say, well, I haven't been lying about you like he's been lying. He's been lying a lot more. So mine isn't so bad as him. That's the deflecting. Don't think that way anymore. Think soberly. Confess your sins. Openly own them. Rikens says the second aspect of repentance is be contrite. Contrite. That speaks of your heart, not just your mind and your mouth confessing your sins, but be sorry for what you've done or failed to do. Let me ask, if you've repented or asked for forgiveness, have you really grieved, have you really felt sorry for what you've done? Not sorry that you got caught. Boy, I know that one. You know, the whole hand in the cookie jar thing. The famous story around our house as Christmas was approaching. I knew where my parents hid the Christmas gifts. And one year I peeked in their bedroom closet and there was something As big as the communion table in there. Oh my goodness, what is that? It was already wrapped. I had to check it out. Again, this is the 70s. Peeled back the corner of the paper. I was mischievous. Saw that it was a fresh new game out called electric football. The Packers versus the Bears. I peeled back more paper so I could see the big picture. And it was a beautiful picture. And with the paper off, the lid would come up. I had the lid up. And I had my brother in the room, and we were already deciding who would get to be the Packers when my dad walked in. Uh, The nicest thing, he said, is we're not going to tell your mother about this. But there was punishment. I was sorry I got caught. And I thought maybe I wouldn't get the prize but I wasn't sorry for disobeying my parents or violating their privacy. Uh, Those were ideas that really didn't come to me. True repentance is a, a, a rethinking substantially so that you get it right. You see things from God's point of view and then your heart will feel properly contrite. But there's a third C in Reichen's description of uh, repentance. Confess, be contrite, then change, change. If you are repentant, you think and feel differently. Your behavior should be different, right? You behave according to what you think. And so if, if you've come to faith in Christ, you've repented of your sins and you're following Jesus, that's you. You're a Christian. Your behavior now needs to be different. You need to walk. In newness of life. You need to walk in the light. You need to be done with deeds done in darkness. You know the Bible's call. There needs to be that change of life. Or as Kent Hughes says, repentance is a change of mind that brings about change of actions. That's repentance. It's a big word. It's an important word. And Jesus uses it here with urgency. Because he knows, thirdly, there's a way of deliverance. You will perish unless it's like, look, here's here's a lifeboat that's come alongside your sinking ship. You can get in that. but You got to change your thinking. You're not safe. You're not okay. Unless Jesus is pointing to the way of deliverance. One of the key verses in all of the Gospels is reported in Mark, maybe also in Matthew, the son of man, Jesus is teaching about himself. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There is a way of deliverance. You've sinned. There's a debt to be paid. But Jesus himself is the way of deliverance. Jesus wants you to repent and believe and believe he's the Messiah. His blood shed for our sins. In closing, let me just summarize these main important points from this passage, which talks about death and people getting crushed by falling buildings. It seems like it's right out of our headlines sometimes Jesus wants us to see the mercy of God. There is a call to repent and believe here. There is a way of escape for our own soul. Because the greater tragedy is that all will perish apart from this lifeboat. We call it the ark. Just like Noah built a a boat of deliverance. That's a biblical picture of what Jesus would be for his people. Come unto me, I will give you rest. Come unto me, I have the waters of, living waters of salvation. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, so get in my boat. Do you see the mercy of God even when Jesus preaches repentance? I'm thankful that Jesus told us and warned us and spoke the truth better mention that on thursday i'm so thankful for a bible that tells us the truth another takeaway from this passage i think that jesus was trying to get through to these questioners who were following don't view this life as the ultimate reward they think wow those people died earlier they died a horrible death they uh, is that the worst thing that can happen to you Jesus had said just in Luke chapter 12, so it must have been either a day or two before this, don't fear those who can kill the body only. Fear him who can kill body and send soul into hell. There is a greater life to be considered. That's eternity, eternal life. Things do happen in this broken, sinful, cursed world. Creation itself groans with us. We're not alone in our pain and our sadness. It's also oh real. There are tears in this world. Because of human sin, generally, the world is fallen and broken. People need cataract surgery. People need cancer treatments. People lose loved ones. But this life is not all there is. Jesus teaches us to live for eternity and not perish eternally and again the third and final takeaway here is that Jesus speaks with such urgency don't delay in believing and obeying Jesus think on the things that he said today he's orchestrated time and space to the listeners here and online to say don't think and presume about yourself rethink, repent and get right now And life is oh so sweet to know the Savior, to have a hope of heaven. And Jesus wants us to not delay, but come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel of Luke so carefully put together for us by uh, your servant. We thank you for the truth telling of Jesus who constantly points us to what we should be thinking about. He tries to free us from our self-centered, broken thinking. Father, help each one here think and rethink clearly. May your spirit be our guide, the spirit of truth. And may we perceive the teachings of Jesus as good news. May we avail ourselves of this opportunity to believe and obey, to trust and to hope in his word. Father, do these things for your glory, we pray, in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Let's close with a